So I'm going to take you to Isaiah chapter 63. I'm going to start in verse 7. I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel, according to his compassion and kindness. He said, surely they are my people, children of whom will be true to me. And so I became their savior. In all their distress, he was distressed. And the angel in his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them to the days of old. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. A question we should never be afraid to understand and grasp is where is God? Why isn't, why isn't he doing something about all this that we're going through? Does God really care about me? If we're honest, each of us sitting here today have pondered these questions at one time or the other in the life we live. They're normal questions when things around us are falling down. When our world is collapsing all around us and the storm is raging to the point we cannot even see a glimpse of light, we wonder, we ponder, we ask, why? Other people have. Listen to this story. Some nursing home residents, this is on our last, got them in a nursing home, right? We're sitting there discussing their aches and pains. And one said, my arms are so weak that I can barely lift this cup of coffee. At least you can see your cup of coffee, another one said. My cataracts are so bad, it's hard for me even to see my cup. The third one chimed in. What about arthritis? Mine's so bad, I can't even turn my head. Well, this blood pressure pills they're making me take are making me dizzy, added another. I guess that's the price we pay for getting old. There seemed to be a general agreement with a gloomy assessment until one woman spoke up. Now, wait a minute, everybody. It's not that bad. At least we can still drive. (laughs) I'm not sure about that story but I do know that it's easy for some people to have a pity party and it's part of nature we start feeling sorry for ourselves it's easy to have this and we end up feeling so depressed about ourselves and, we, and what's happening in our lives that we just can't see the sun. Sometimes we even cry out, where is God? 
Why isn't he doing something about this? Does God even care about me? I think those are relevant questions to consider. God does care about us. And he does love us. We should never be afraid to examine the hows and the whys and the wheres. And and where's the best place to go to do this? To examine this question is God's holy word. One striking passage is found in the Old Testament concerning that we just read. It's it's from the book of Isaiah, chapter 63, verses 7 through 9, and keep going on to 10. It's a wonderful passage. And we just read it to you. There are many, so many places in God's holy word we could go to for this answer. God is prepared for us to ask this question, and he's answered in place after place in his holy word. But today, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. We are there because I find it an answer. I find an answer there that's so bold and amazing. It's a remarkable passage. And perhaps the key word for you to notice is in verse 9. Where it says, In all their distress, He too was distressed. Let me say that again. In all their distress, he too was distressed. It didn't say... Let's word it this way. Didn't God almost say the same thing when he spoke to Moses? At the burning bush. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. And you'll find these amazing words in the book of Exodus chapter 3 verses 7 through 8. And he told Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Over and over, the Bible proclaims that God loves us and cares for us. We see it in the birth of Jesus. God's only son. Notice God didn't send his son to be born to a royal family, to enjoy the very best of this world has to offer. Instead, he chose to experience what it's like to be poor. To spend long hours working under the hot sun. To have calluses on his hands and sore and aching muscles. He knew what you go through. Jesus knows what is Part, to be part of a despised race. They, they hated the Jews. To be arrested for crimes that he did not commit. To hang there on a cross in our place. He experienced pain such as you and I have never experienced. He died a death that was so terrible that it was outlawed for a Roman citizen to be killed this way. 
Now, years, I mean years ago, Mahatma Gandhi met with a group of missionaries. They, they had an audience with them, and they all sat around. And they were explaining their work in India. And as the meeting drew to a close, Mahatma Gandhi asked them to sing one of their favorite Christian hymns. If you don't know, he was raised in England. He had a teaching in England. He understood them. And they asked him what hymn they should sing. And Gandhi answered, sing a hymn that best express what you believe. So, they sang this one. When I survey the glorious cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain but count lost the poor and contempt of my pride. They chose well. For this hymn, maybe more than many others, expresses what we believe, that on the cross that Jesus Christ, the Prince of Glory, died for us. And because of that, it is a wondrous cross. And we sing about it because God's love transformed it to a symbol of victory over sin and death. And with that in mind, let's look at Jesus and the cross and realize when bad things happen, God suffers too. Let me share a great truth with you sitting here today that is borne out in place after place of God's holy word. Love and suffering often go hand in hand. And many times, we hear people saying, God must not love me or I wouldn't be going through this. And then we look at the cross and see the love and suffering go together. If you love your husband or you love your wife, you suffer together through many life's experiences. If you bring children into the world, you suffer with them too. The greater the love, the greater the suffering. They go hand in hand with one another. It is a truth that is bore out in this world that we live in. And as long as we are here and not at home with God... Suffering is part of this world. Sidetrack. Anybody got an ache or a pain this morning? Oh, I got a few heads going. Okay, better question. Anybody in here not hurting this morning over anything? Okay, we got one hand, two, well, two people are dumb. <laughs> we all have aches and pains. We all have trials and tribulations. Isn't that what the Bible says in John chapter 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for our trials. And they say it again in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Someone asked C.S. Lewis, I don't know if you know, he's a great writer, right? Why do the righteous suffer? And his answer was, why not? He replied, they're the ones who can take it. 
And our confidence in God, who knows and loves us, is the reason we can take it. Now, allow me to be very clear about the second lesson that we can draw from the cross. Is Hear this out. Our suffering is not necessarily a punishment for our sins. Sometimes, if something goes wrong, we're tempted to say, God must be punishing me. Yes, there are times that sin causes suffering. But there is a cause and effect in our world, and sins do have consequences. But sometimes, we're suffering just because we live in this world. It's life. When Adam and Eve sinned, in the Garden of Eden, the whole world suffered the consequences. Dorothy Sayre said that God at least plays fair. She said that for whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, subject to suffering, sorrow and death, God had the courage to take his own medicine when he sent his son. And whatever God is doing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. And that's true, isn't it? Fair is one of those words we may hear when people are suffering. They say, it isn't fair. It isn't fair that our daughter died in an auto accident. It isn't fair that when we reach the age of retirement, our money is worth nothing, or my wife died, or my husband died. It isn't fair that they gave birth to a challenged child. It isn't fair. Number one excuse, it isn't fair. But is it fair that Jesus Christ should come into a world that he created and the very people he created should laugh and mock him and spit upon him and nail him to a cross. The world groans under the weight of sin and the consequence of sin is death. That's part of life. So God played fair. He kept his own rules. And because he loves us, he went to the cross and took the punishment for your sins and my sins. There's an important truth in this life. The worst that can happen to us in this life is not that we suffer. Rather, the worst that can happen is that we be ensnared by sin and die unforgiven of that sin. Do, do, now, do you remember the Roman soldiers as they think about this? The Roman soldiers were taking Jesus to be crucified and they passed a group of women weeping, weeping for Jesus. And Jesus said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for a time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women. Now you can read those words of Jesus himself in Luke chapter 23. And it goes back to verse 28, 29. Luke 23, 28, 29. Jesus said, Weep, weep for yourselves. And Jesus was right. 
it was not the time to weep for him. Rather, it was the time to weep for Ananias and Sapphira and the members of the Sanhedrin who had manipulated the crowd to cry out, crucify him and crucify him. And it was time to weep for Pilate, the politician who would not listen to his conscience or his wife, right? He could have got out of this. Or how about Judas, who turned his back on Jesus, passing up the greatest opportunity he ever had? Allow me to be very clear. It is not suffering, but sin that we should fear. Remember, suffering is not necessarily a punishment for our sins. Now here's the third truth that comes out as a lesson of the cross today. And this is a tougher one to grasp. It's tough. Sometimes our suffering can actually help somebody else. The Bible teaches that Joseph of the Old Testament suffered so that his family could be fed during the famine. Moses suffered so he could deliver Israel out of Egypt. The bondage of Egypt. Jesus suffered so that the penalty of sin would be paid and people redeemed for their sins. Mother Teresa spent most of her time working in the streets of Calcutta, one of the most desperate pockets of poverty in all the world. There she ministered to the poor, giving them food, taking care of their physical needs day in and day out. She was 87 years old when she died. She could have been back at home, enjoying the comforts and honors she so richly deserved, but she chose to stay in Calcutta. And that's a nice picture of Calcutta. You should see the bad ones. I didn't want to put them up there. When asked about it, she said, I'm a tiny pencil in the hand of God as he writes a love letter to the world. Now finally... Our suffering can bring glory to God. The seven times Jesus spoke on the cross gives us an example how to suffer as a Christian and thus bring glory to him. I want you to listen to his words and we're going to learn from what he said on the cross. As Jesus hung on the cross, the first words were this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. That is Luke chapter 23, verses 34. Sometimes people caught up in pain and problems of life become bitter. They get angry at the world. Been there? Anybody been there? Hmm. They get angry at God. They get angry at the church. And some, they get mad at everything. They get mad at some neighbor, some family member. They just get mad. But Jesus taught us, as he hung there with nails in his hands and feet, that we should release the bitterness and forgive those who've driven in the nails 
into our lives. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Then he turned to the thief beside him and said, Today you will be with me in paradise. That is Luke chapter 23, verse 43. One of the great temptations of suffering is to become self-centered. And to think only of ourselves and the problems we're experiencing. Yet the cross teaches us that we should never become insensitive to others. Now, side note here, getting on a rabbit trail. Both thieves cursed and mocked Jesus. When he came up to the cross, was hung there. Both of them cursed and mocked him. It wasn't just one. Then one repented. That's a terrible word. Modern world doesn't like the word repented. But one realized he was wrong. Repented. And God turned, God in the flesh, and Jesus Christ turned to that man and said, Today you will be with me in paradise. One thief repented and was forgiven of his sins, and that day was an eternity. The other thief never repented, and Jesus never said those words to him. That's a great lesson sidebar here, but I got to get back to the sermon. I'm going to get in really trouble, you know. See, you guys all have plans today, don't you? The rain's not raining. Yesterday, you'd been happy to stay in here hours. Today, we got to get you on the road. Hear me out here. Then Jesus talked to his mother. As I get back to the sermon, Jesus talks to his mother and the apostle John. And he says, dear woman, here is your son. And the disciple says, here is your mother. Even as Jesus was dying, he did not forget about his mother and his responsibility as her oldest son to care for her keeping. His words teach us that even in the midst of suffering, we should never forget our responsibilities. I'll be nice and leave it there, because I want to take you to the next one. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Hardest words to hear of all Jesus' words. Those words are found in the book of Mark, chapter 15, verse 34. Why do I tell you these chapters and verses? So you'll look it up. I am thankful, though. I am so thankful that Jesus didn't place a smile on his face and try to convince us that he enjoyed dying on that cross. For the very first time ever, since of all creation, before creation, God had to turn his back on Jesus because Jesus became our sins at that moment. So God could not look upon his son. God cannot tolerate sin. There will there are times of loneliness and there are times when you feel forsaken. Be honest about it. And yet realize that once you've come through this valley, this shadow, this time of darkness in your life, God's always been there and he's always there with you. When you can't walk, he'll carry you. 
Then Jesus said these amazing words. I am thirsty. One of the hardest, oh, this gets tough now. One of the hardest things to accept when we are suffering is our inability to care for ourselves. That just doesn't set right with us. Sometimes we need help. We need a guiding hand. We need to how, know, how, know how to overcome the battle. And when I, when we visit hospitals and nursing homes, we've seen all the people who are proud and independent, humbled by the fact that they have to be taken care of by others. That's the hardest thing in assisted living is they have to be taken care of by somebody. We dread the idea that the day might come when someone will have to feed us, bathe us, and clothe us. But maybe it would help to know that even God, the Son of God, allowed a stranger to minister to him, to moisten a sponge and wet his lips as he hung there on the cross. It is finished, he said. His next words. One day, our sufferings will be over too. They're not forever. The Apostle Paul wrote, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Those words are found in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. If you were here yesterday for Lester's funeral, you heard those exact words. Those words are found in Romans 8, 18. Finally, now the final words of Jesus. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Death is not the worst thing that can happen. It can be the best thing. It's a promotion. It's a graduation. When our spirit goes to be with God forever. Now, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. If you were here yesterday, these were the verses of Les's funeral. Actually, his whole funeral was built around these verses. These verses, though, are not just for a funeral. They are for the living. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix our eyes on what is not seen, but on what is unseen we will fix. Since therefore what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if our earthly tent that we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now, for the verses I did not have time for in the funeral, I'm going to keep going. Verse 2 in chapter 5. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead of our heavenly dwelling. Because we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, that means this body, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that is what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. Now, 
the one who has fashioned for us this very us for this very purpose, God, has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. The Holy Spirit is your guarantee. The Bible teaches us that our suffering in this world is not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be shared with God for all eternity. Now, if Jesus is not your Savior, then perhaps you do not understand what I am saying. Maybe you've never experienced the comfort and strength that comes from knowing that you're not alone. That God is beside you. And if you don't know that, I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee this week and explain it. Now, as many of you know, Senator, the late Senator John McCain spent several years as a prisoner in the North Vietnamese prisoner camp. He was shot down. And in Leadership Magazine, he told this story. In the final years of our imprisonment, the North Vietnamese moved us from small cells with one or two prisoners to large rooms with as many as 30 or 40. We preferred this situation for the companionship and the strength we could draw from our fellow prisoners. In addition to moving us to new quarters, our captors let us receive packages and letters from home. Many received word from their families for the first time in several years. The improved conditions were a result of public pressure put on the North Vietnamese by the American public. In our cell was one Navy lieutenant, Commander Mike Christensen. The only picture I can find of him. And over a period of time, Mike had gathered bits of garment and pieces of scraps. And and he made a red, white, and blue from various packages that were sent And using a bamboo needle, he fashioned a flag, an American flag, inside the shirt of the blue pajamas they wore. In our cell every night, Mike would put his shirt on the wall and we would say the Pledge of Allegiance. And he said, I know that saying the Pledge of Allegiance is not the most important event of our day now, but I can tell you at that time it was the most important thing we could do. And it went on for some time until the guards came in. While they were reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, they ripped the flag off the wall, dragged Mike out, and beat him for several hours. And threw him back in the cell. Later that night, John Glenn, Senator Glenn wrote, As we were settling down to sleep on the concrete slabs that were our beds, I looked over where the guards had thrown Mike. And under a solitary light bulb, Hanging from the ceiling, I saw Mike, still bloody, his face swollen beyond recognition. Mike was gathering bits of cloth together, and he started sewing another American flag. He never made it home. But I do believe it is still true. In all our distress, God is distressed too. He cares about us no matter what we're going through. Life... It's going to mess up. Deer is going to run out in front of your car. It's going to happen. Did you know that if you call the highway patrol and you tell them you hit a deer, that's a non-reportable offense because so many people hit deer? I called them when I hit a deer. Oh, that's okay. You hit a deer. I'm like, I did damage to my car. I got to report it. No, you don't. That's part of life. 
Not having your fishing license when you're hunting a deer is illegal. Okay? But hitting a deer with your car is not illegal. Same deer, different situations. Am I making sense? Probably not. Let me make sense. Let me be bold and blunt. You aren't going to change the suffering that you've already been through. All you can do is learn from it. Not to make the same mistake again. Just because you did something wrong doesn't mean tomorrow is not new. Just because you didn't give hubby or the wife a hug doesn't mean you can't do it when you leave the service. Just because you didn't say thank you doesn't mean you can't say thank you tonight on the phone. Everything is changeable. But you can't go back and correct the past, so quit worrying about it. Just fix the future. I will be very careful as I'm going to Rapid City today. I don't want to hit another deer. It's hard to replace your car. I'm not worried about the deer. I'm worried about my car. Does that make sense? But you can't help it if you do. You just fix it in the future. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if you don't know the ability to have this faith, then I'd buy you a cup of coffee this week, except I'll be gone until next week, so you got to wait a week. But you need a cup of coffee to know what it is to be able to face death proudly. But Christians die well. Funerals are good to do for a Christian. Yeah, there's tears, there's wiping, but he's gone home. She's gone home. The saddest one for a minister to do is somebody you know wasn't saved. And you just about weep. Shortest funeral I ever did. A guy had been out of prison for 10 hours, died of an overdose. I did it on the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. But he deserved a funeral. They heard a gospel message. God is sitting on the throne. If he's sitting on the throne, you can overcome any challenge God, the world gives you. You can. I don't care what it is. You get on your knees. And God will get you through it. Never said it was going to be easy. Never said you wouldn't have challenges. That's because there's this thing called sin. But one day we're going to heaven. No more sin. Now we need to close in prayer. But remember the two thieves on the cross. One repented, one did not. One got to spend eternity in heaven. One did not. Repentance. It's a word we don't use enough in the church. We're not bashful about it, but it's a tough word. Repentance. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the cross. We are so thankful for the gift of your Son. Father, and if we're honest, we don't always understand the suffering we're going through. We don't understand the challenges of a wife having cancer or a husband having cancer or, 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 or heart problems. But we rejoice in your miracles of when you save people from medical events. Some should not be here right now. And they are. And they're a blessing. But Father, you called us to travel in a valley. 
at times in our life, a dark valley, but you'll walk with us and we're so thankful. Now bless us, each one of us, as we sing our final song and then we enjoy this wonderful day. And all God's people said, Amen.